You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. We may never know the details about the terrorism sting in Kingston that we are told shut down a credible terrorism threat. At the moment, the only person under arrest is a 16-year-old. That is extraordinary in itself because it comes after hundreds of hours of investigation and an RCMP plane sweeping the skies. A 20-year-old from a family of Syrian refugees was detained and released, and the opposition was very quick to seize on this. But uh, what can we make of this? And are we going to find out more? Uh, uh, So I am going to bring in Ross McLean, security and terrorism expert, and also immigration lawyer Giddy Mammon, because I have questions relevant for him as well. Hi there. Hi. Ross, are you there? I'm here. I'm here, Libby. Okay. Now, uh, we have some breaking news on the Bruce McCarthy, MacArthur serial killing case. So let's just, uh, uh, major development coming tomorrow, Ross. Any idea of what it would be? Well, we can, we can guess. At this point, it is speculation. But the, the police are saying that there is going to be a major development in court tomorrow morning. Uh, they're giving lots of advance notice in, the, in, their, in their press release and telling media where to bring the trucks. So my suspicion is, this be my suspicion, it's going to be something that will be beneficial to the police point of view. And one of the options, of course, is a plea, which is the direction this has been going all along with the way the lawyers in the Crown have been cooperating. So it could be a plea. A guilty could be, plea. Could, could be a guilty plea to some or all of the offenses. Could also be, who knows, it doesn't seem likely, but additional charges perhaps. So we'll have to wait and see. But this has been going the whole road. I don't see any other way out of this. Uh, than a guilty plea at some point to be worked out. But we'll see. Okay, uh, let's get to that case in uh, Kingston. Uh, a real head-scratcher that after all of this, all they have is a 16-year-old. Uh, they uh, they arrested a 20-year-old from a Syrian refugee family. He was released. Uh, any idea if that means he's actually been dismissed as a subject or they just didn't have enough? Well, from my point of view, Libby, it it is a bit of a head-scratcher because from the way the police presser went, one of the things they certainly said is they had massive resources on this. Over some 300 officers from joint forces involved in doing all of the work on this. So if this was just some 16-year-old, you know, putting out messages at his keyboard to his friends like a fool, it would seem to be an awful awful waste of resources. If If it was something more than that, that would explain all of the resources. So, uh, well, they had the makings of a bomb. They said that. Yes. And, and once again, though, they didn't really go into much description as to what type of IED they, they suggested it would be homemade and that they had already started to gather, uh, parts to make the bomb. So that could be something as simple as those sort of hydrogen peroxide, uh, pressure kettle cooker bombs that are, you can find to put together on the internet. We've seen, or it could have been something more than that. We we really don't know. Uh, and they also said they found trace elements in two residences. So I'm assuming that that was related to the arrest of the, the 20-year-old there. Well, certainly one of the things, and I've talked about this before, as you know, I don't like the term lone wolf in any of these terrorism cases, no matter who it is, for the most part. Uh, you talk to the Israeli uh, special services, and they will tell you, that whenever they've got a lone wolf type attacker, 
they inevitably find, on average, about 36 people around that person who are somewhere, somehow, some way involved in working, recruiting, setting up, training, teaching, or doing something around it. So were the RCMP trying to pull on a thread to uh, uncover a, a higher higher level in this? That's, that's what it would seem like to me, what they were trying to do. But we don't know that because they haven't said much. Okay, let's bring in uh, Giddy Mammon. Now, we, we don't even know anything about this 16-year-old. Uh, we don't know if he's a citizen or a permanent resident or none of the above. So uh, if uh, he's not a citizen or not yet a citizen, uh, what are the rules? Can he just be deported? Well, no one, no one who is here as a permanent resident, assuming he's a permanent resident, can just simply be deported. There has to be a legal process. So usually there would be uh, an admissibility hearing to see if, uh, you know, if that person has in fact been convicted, which is fairly routine. Uh, in some cases, uh, there are the rights of appeal of uh, of, of the decision. Um, sometimes there is the possibility of uh, uh, if the person comes from a country where they may face uh, harm uh, or persecution, they can apply for what's called the pre-removal risk assessment. In some some cases, that's a limited process, um, but it's important to determine whether or not that person is a citizen or a permanent resident. If they're a citizen, there's really not that much we can do. Um, they have uh, a, a constitutional right to enter, remain, and leave Canada anytime. Uh, that they like, so uh, it's not going to be uh, affected uh, if uh, if they are a citizen. If they're not citizens, then it's it's important to know if they arrived in Canada as a convention refugee or they became convention refugees. Then we have the problem of non-refoulement, which means you cannot send back a person to a country where they could be facing uh, persecution, and then the minister would have to make the ultimate decision whether or not the rights of the individual. Uh, are exceeded by the rights of uh, Canadian society and the need to protect Canadian society. Okay, um, I, I'm I'm going to want to get back to this case, but I have a question about another one, and that is uh, the case of uh, Rehab Dugmash. That's the woman that attacked people in the Canadian Tire. Now she has declared her allegiance to ISIS. She said she was doing it on top of uh, uh, for ISIS. She refused to recognize the authority of the court. She represented herself. Uh, so I, I'm thinking, like, how would, you know, she didn't hide her feelings. So how would someone like that even get in? Well, interestingly enough, people who are granted permanent residency and people who are granted Canadian citizenship are not asked about their worldviews. They're not asked uh, about whether or not they're committed to the democratic process or they have allegiances to other principles other than uh, those uh, you know, defined by our Canadian Charter and our Constitution. Uh, unfortunately, our citizenship is more about a language ability, knowledge of Canada, and how many days you have your feet on Canadian soil within a certain period of time. Uh, but there is really no screening for people who uh, are not very supportive of the uh, Canadian way of life. In this particular case, um, uh, Ms. Dugmash uh, very clearly uh, said that she does not believe and does not accept uh, Canadian law, Canadian rules, uh, that she is governed by religious law. Um, but those things are not uh, part of the process of becoming a permanent resident or a Canadian citizen. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, that's interesting. Uh, Ross, getting back to the situation in Kingston, uh, on the one hand, you had the conservatives jumping on this and saying it shows that the refugee screening is flawed. On the other, you had a lot of people uh, sort of saying, uh, you know, we don't want this to turn into discrimination against refugees or uh, Islamophobia. Um, there was a big, the, the, the father of the household was really upset that in the police sting, they burst into the house. They saw his wife without a hijab. What, what do you make of all of that? Well, I make out it's, it's a lot of, a lot of political, uh, <laughs> a lot of political hay being made. And, you know, one of the funny things I find about that, and sometimes, I mean, I guess it's the media's job to parrot what is being said by the government, if that's their response to something, or if it's what the RCMP says. But I found it rather interesting that with the Kingston attack, there was the report that, I mean, no one said it, someone else found it out, that the, the one person who was arrested later let go was a Syrian refugee. Then there was talk that the RCMP went out to go have secret or quiet or community meetings with the community that was affected here by these terror arrests. Presumably, that would be the local Muslim community that they went in to go talk to. And I'm looking at that saying, well, hold on. The community that was affected by that were the people who lived in that area, who could have been white, black, brown, Jewish, Christian, uh, Muslim, whatever, who could have been blown up or could have been killed by these people. So the fact that the RCMP and the government takes it immediately to some sort of coddling of one group. Rather than dealing with it in a very practical way, it's a threat that needs to be examined. As Giddy pointed out, questions that should be asked that really aren't being asked anywhere. We're not going to solve this problem. We're, we're sort of masking it over. And I, I'm finding it interesting in the sentencing of this woman, there's going to be another mental health assessment. Uh, it seems that the authorities and, and lots of people really would rather ascribe any terrorist activity to mental health. And I don't really see the two as mutually exclusive. And, and Ross, you probably know more than me, but my understanding is that even with kind of garden variety criminal activity, some type of mental illness is often a factor there. Yeah, and I've talked actually at length with Dr. Oren Amate, who I know you guys on as a guest before about that. And it can range anywhere from personality disorders to mental health and other issues. You know, something that I'd wonder that Giddy may be able to speak to is when people are coming in, if they're not asked about their values for democratic values, how closely do we look at what could be termed really mental health problems with people who are able to gain access to our country? Do we really look at that and do we have a problem with people with mental health problems gaining access. Well, if I can answer that, um, we do have a medical screening. Um, the problem that we have in the refugee system is that we bring in, uh, in many cases, people who are from war-torn countries. And uh, often they suffer from post-traumatic uh, stress. They've seen so much death. They've, they've seen so much injustice. They've seen so many killings that they are really uh, affected in a very negative way. And in fact, that is part of the, uh, of the case that helps to bring them into Canada. The fact that they have suffered persecution, they have suffered at the hands of others. That is, a, in a way, a positive factor because it, it confirms the underlying threat that they have uh, fled from. Um, 
there, I, I have attended uh, quite a few interviews with CSIS where they questioned a person's um, affiliation, ties, uh, viewpoints about uh, terrorist organizations, ter- terrorist activities, uh, but those are very few. Um, when I testified at, at Congress, uh, when when we when we when I was asked to speak about uh, Justin Trudeau's um, a decision to bring in uh, so many refugees from Syria, I was asked the question if that's a threat, uh, a, po- a potential threat to the United States, for example. Can they come to Canada and come to the United States? Well, anyone that we bring from any country where you have seen uh, terrible things uh, can be a threat to Canadian society. Uh, because they are suffering from mental illness, in in some cases, in some cases, and, and in other cases, they they may believe in some of the philosophies that they that they, they that were prevalent where they came from. But you know, no one is going to be asking those questions in the typical case. Um, okay, we are beginning uh, to run out of time. Ross McLean, have we heard the last of this case? Are we going to find out more? Are we going to find out more about the Danforth shooting? Is there more to come? Well, certainly in this case, the uh, the authorities have all the ability to keep this one quiet. They can say it's a minor. They can say it's an ongoing investigation. They can say there's national security threats to it. So they've got all kinds of reasons why they don't have to say anything. However, I believe they should be speaking because it's important that we know whenever you're looking at terrorism, you have to look at the motivation behind it because the motivation tells you who the, who the group is that's likely to attack, what their targets likely are, and what the methods are they will likely use. Different groups use different tactics, have different targets uh, for different reasons. So I think we need to hear about that. And we need to find out about how, how far along this investigation was. Was this a lone kid at a keyboard, which I don't think it would be, or how extensive does it go? I mean, we need to hear something at some point. Okay, yeah, because apparently the tip came from the FBI. Uh, we will uh, likely end up revisiting this, but in the meantime, thank you so much, uh, Ross McLean and Giddy Mammon. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. 